You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Venerable. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy7, and we are your complete cards coverage. Joining me as always is my co-host, the podcaster formerly known as Johnny Football. John Venerable is here to talk all about this Arizona Cardinals draft class. Now, if you caught us last week, uh, we had a bit of a phone call for a rushed podcast. Did that mostly because we knew John was going to be traveling back and forth, especially after the second day of the draft. Wanted to make sure that we had enough time for some rapid reaction to day one. Now that we are back in the yeah, studio, welcome say, everybody. We are we here with our post draft analysis. John. We have several picks to discuss outside of just first rounder Xavier Collins. And as Blake mentioned, thank you so much for cooperating with our less than ideal audio quality Thursday night, mainly because I was on the phone. It was recording it after midnight. Wanted to get that content out to you, but as far as the rest of the draft went, Blake, goodness, it was a little bit telegraphed, but then I I would say day three, we saw much more excitement and movement from the Cardinals than than I certainly expected, but I I don't think we can start anywhere other than round two and and the selection of Purdue wide receiver Rondell Moore, a player that we found out the Cardinals had interest in. in. Um, I actually had a, a DM with John Gambadaro on Friday, and I, I just asked him, I said, you know, I, I, I would love to see this team get a weapon for Kyler Murray. And he said they love the kid from Purdue. So what that tells me is that they went into that, and he was one of their highest-graded play, players. And if you trust this franchise, which I know a lot of you don't, but if you want this team to have success and you trust them, they got the guy they wanted. We know that now definitively. Now, do we think that maybe they had Asante Samuel Jr. ranked higher? Morig, the kid from TCU, the safety? I don't know that for sure. Maybe. There, there could be a chance they would have taken Samuel um, at pick 49 if he, if he was there. But what I think you can't dispute, Blake, is more to me is the kind of player they wanted Andy Isabella to be. He is somebody that possesses numerous qualities that they don't currently have on the roster at receiver outside of Hopkins, meaning he's explosive after the catch, he's got breakaway speed, and he is so diverse in what he does that he is immediately, in my opinion, your new kick returner, punt returner. He, of course, is going to hopefully dominate underneath the intermediate passing game in the slot, but can also hit the home run deep. He's fantastic after the catch. And then also, and we'll talk about this, they didn't select a running back. I think he could take snaps out of the backfield. He's compact. Of course, the benching of plus 400, he squats over 600. He is a quote-unquote gadget player, but by all accounts, if he's used correctly by Kingsbury and company, he could be a significant upgrade over what they have. And goodness, Blake, they need to take some weight off of DeAndre Hopkins at receiver. John, Rondale Moore was one of the guys I had looked at previously as an option for the Cardinals, specifically because when we're looking at how Cliff Kingsbury likes to structure his team, we called it the air raid system, but a lot of people looked at this and saw it with the pipeline of more of a 
Closer to the line of scrimmage, so probably a horizontal raid, uh, Cliff would design his routes in a way that would, you know, help his quarterback to just, with his reads, being able to get just to the sticks, trying to stay out of these difficult, you know, third and 13, third and long situations. Uh, but yeah, overall, horizontal passing attack. Bubble screens that you're able to swing the ball out to guys. And we never really did, like you mentioned, see a lot of those types of end-arounds or uh, at least success on those that we saw from Andy Isabella, we expected. We never really got to see them stretch the field at a consistent rate last year. Um, the best one who did was Christian Kirk a few times. I think of the Dolphins game with that deep touchdown, the Cowboys game. But it was just not consistent enough off the line. And their best deep threat ended up being DeAndre Hopkins on the outside. So who were some of the other guys that were available? Asante Samuel Jr., it was seen as unlikely he'd fall to the Cardinals. Uh, there's a lot of corner needs, at least for the most part. He falls a little bit smaller, goes into a landing spot with the Chargers that I'm grateful is one pick ahead of the San Francisco 49ers, keeps him out of the division in case he turns into his dad. Moore was a guy who, because of the height questions that we got to see, you know, he's at five foot seven, but a lot of it ends up being that the reason he fell was because of there were injury issues, John. We're talking about a player who, you know, in the entire scope of the picture, you got to look at the pros and the cons. And one of the concerns you talk about is missing the eight last eight games of his sophomore season, as well as opting out at one point with 2020 and COVID, opting back in, missed a few games at the end of this season as well. But you're talking about one of three players who was a All-American freshman of the year. Um, you're talking about a guy who was a consensus All-American, along with Adrian Peterson. And uh, Herschel Walker is the other. Ran a 4-2-40 speed in the Exos Combine. Place where Kyler Murray trained as well. And so, yeah, also having a 42-inch vertical. So we're talking about a guy who measured in at 5'7", but has an almost 9-foot area that he can jump to. So when you're looking at one of these players, you're seeing at least that he's a very different style from Andy Isabella in that regard. He's much more compactly built, a bit tougher, breaks tackles. A PFF, I believe, called him and said that he's like Julio Jones from an athletic standpoint and playing with Cole Beasley's body, which is a very unusual type of comparison. You don't see this player a lot in the NFL. There's very few comparables. And as a result, it's not that you're betting on an outlier in Arizona, but rather you're looking at players across the board saying, hey, if there's a guy in this draft for the Cardinals that to take that could be, you know, maybe one of not the number one playmaker you would have wanted, you'd probably be looking, you know, not at Jalen Waddell, but looking at a guy in the next tier, he probably would sit into that second category, uh, especially in terms of yards after catch. Um, he was able to be a downfield threat. That said, John... I think there was 71.2% of his receiving yards while they were after the catch. He only had about like 20 to 24 passes that were more than 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. So that sets up a really weird profile and a unique player that's on a scale. The question sets up is, all right, is this guy going to end up being a Tyree kill at the next level? Guy who was maybe a running back in college, didn't go downfield as much, suddenly explodes in the league after going in the fifth round. Or is it going to be one of those guys instead who, while he can't maybe be covered as well off the line of scrimmage, is it going to instead be that we see more of this thick Tavon Austin, like this like this guy who, you know, break down, this guy who's going to break down the line of scrimmage, this guy who's going to not really be able to get utilized deep, the teams are going to struggle to use. 
I'm going to be very interested to see, John, if he lines up on the inside as a slot receiver primarily or if, like he said in an interview, he thinks he can be used as a mismatch all over, whether it's inside or outside, and be uh, kind of like how Tyreek was used to exploit different coverages. When you look at with Cliff Kingsbury, what I think this ultimately says, John, is that the Andy Isabella pick is, you know, you could argue maybe you try to get both guys with that speed on the field at the same time. Absolutely, and I'll start there. I, I felt like I know for a fact they were shopping him, uh, that being Isabella, and probably continue to shop him now post-draft. It might be easier for them to move him, hmm. uh, especially if teams didn't secure the receiver that they wanted during the draft. Uh, still think he could be moved this offseason into training camp. Uh, and I think there's an outside chance, Blake, he could outright be cut from the team. I mean, he does not have a role on this team right now definitively. He is the fifth or sixth receiver at best. And he also carries a million-dollar cap hit that they can move off of post-June 1st. Um, and I, I think, again, this signifies the end of the Andy Isabella tenure in Arizona, in my opinion, if it hadn't already ended last year when he was inactive, roughly for the last quarter of the season. But I, I, let's let's focus right now on more and you hit the nail on the head. I, I think his maximum efficiency is, can he hit, you know, seven, 800 yards receiving a year, five to six touchdowns, and then just be an uber effective return man, maybe throwing a little rushing. Could he somehow accumulate a thousand plus yards from scrimmage? I, I think that that is more where I think he is in line to be. Again, I, I would be interested to see if he gets significant carries in the run game. He is going to be your primary choice for, uh, ride receiver screens, end arounds. I mean, how many times last year, last two years with this group outside of Hopkins that they have tried the ver the horizontal passing game, screens at the line of scrimmage, and they not only didn't they execute this well, they didn't have the personnel to do it. And say what you want about Kingsbury, if, if they're trying to go on with Cliff and they're trying to give him the necessary tools to succeed, you have to be able to give him players that can create on their own. And outside of really Chase Edmonds and DeAndre Hopkins, they have nobody offensively that can do that. I, I love Christian Kirk for what he is. I wish he was more of a complete receiver. And he just he, he has no yak ability. This kid is all yak. You watch those highlights from that Ohio State game in 2018 where he's running over people, running through people. He's got a little bit of Darren Sproles to the way he moves with the football. But I think you know, you're going to get probably a mixture of Cole Beasley, a mixture of maybe a little bit of Deshaun Jackson. I think the Tavon Austin um, comparison is is strong, but I also think he's more physical. I mean, this is a guy, yes, he's only 5'7", but he's 190 pounds. I mean, he's all muscle. He's somebody that, again, is going to be able to force teams to play honest defense. Um, it's just about can they maximize his efficiency. But it was clear. I mean, Terrence Marshall, the wide receiver from LSU, was on the board, the kid from Western Michigan. There were other options there. And they were keen in on him from the start. So hopefully it pays off for him. We'll have to wait and see. We talked a lot about how if Christian Kirk was moving into the slot and moving out Isabella for Rondell Moore, the question then is, do you want to you know highlight someone to replace A.J. Green on the outside uh, with the likes of someone like a Terrace Marshall Jr.? 
Uh, obviously fell because of injury questions. Uh, he was uh, now back with his college offense coordinator, Joe Brady. He's much more of that straight line, jump up and get the ball type of player. I think back when Michael Floyd was with the Cardinals. This is much more of a Cliff Kingsbury type of guy with Rondale. Uh, think of, I thought even of Debo Samuel as a great comp. You made life very easy for Jimmy Garoppolo. You have him on end around or be able to just do a small pass to him, and he gets about 20 yards after the catch. It's one of the cases, John, where this pick, in a lot of ways, I think it's a lot more of figuring out of what the health of Rondell Moore is going to be because whenever he is on the field, he is impactful. He plays and lowers his shoulder. He'll break the tackle. Sometimes you see him just be able to erase angles from defenders. He's not quite the same type of athlete as far as um, can make people just whiff an open field like a Kyler Murray or a Jalen Waddle necessarily, but he's got that juice, and that's one of those the assets that you can add to the team and say, all right, Kyler, like we're able to see at least now with with at least two veterans, you know, with A.J. Green and DeAndre Hopkins. you got a veteran with Christian Kirk in the slot. And now you've got a speed guy that you can line up in different places. Maybe you can throw even in a, a JoJo Ward off of the practice squad as a fifth receiver. You know, we've at least talked about having enough passing weapons because – you know, simply just having Christian Kirk having a solid game or two and then disappearing, having DeAndre Hopkins as the only legit threat, that's something that's an improvement. But you're also putting now a huge threat in A.J. Green, a huge trust factor with him because if he isn't healthy or if he doesn't work out as well, you're kind of looking at least if Hopkins is gone, you take off those big play guys and for the most part, really you're only left with just a rookie as your explosive guy. And that leans to more of the 10 personnel. So one of the questions then is if the Arizona passes on the likes of a Pat Fryermuth, they pass at least in a tight end overall, um, we knew they weren't going to have a chance to trade up in round three. Uh, you see a couple of other tight ends go in the draft. Well, Cardinals didn't address it at all. So with that need, are we going to be looking essentially, question begs, are you going to be looking much more at this 10 personnel that we see, or are we going to see more of this Cardinals offense that we thought we were seeing the end of 2019 and some of 2020 with much more of this pro power rushing attack? Otherwise, yeah, this is a shameless plug. I wrote about the Cardinals and their needs post draft on revengeofthebirds.com. Go check out the article. And specifically, I highlight what I feel like, and I think what most feel like, is the biggest remaining hole on the roster that being tight end. And while it was never realistic to think that Kyle Pitts would be available to you, whether at 16 or in a trade-up. I, I did think that they would have interest in Fryermuth, and by all accounts, according to John Gambadaro, they did. Um, Fryermuth went roughly at 10 to 12 picks after the fact. But here's what I'll say. The Cardinals are in a position right now where they have to address the position in free agency. I think an argument can be made that Kyle misjudged this market, because as, as we sit here right now, Cardinals have $14 million in cap space. Yes, they still have to sign the rookie class, but they've got other moves they can make to free up additional cap space, whether it be if they move on from Jordan Hicks now that they have Xavier Collins. They could move on from Kennard post-June 1st to get almost $6 million. They're going to have what what equates to a healthy amount of cap space, and they don't have a capable pass-catching tight end on the roster. And this is a team last year, I think their third leading receiver was uh, Dan Arnold, who is now with Carolina. Dan Arnold, who got, I think, 8 or $9 million for a single season with Carolina. I wonder if the Cardinals regret that now. Every time I go back and watch the All-22 from last year, especially in the later half of the season, he was the intermediate passing game for the Cardinals. Hopkins was the savior, and then that was about it, especially when Kirk disappeared. That was a player that the Cardinals had taken time to develop. Now they're stuck with 
Um, Max Williams, whom I like from a blocking standpoint, he can be effective in the in the red zone. He's not a consistent pass catching tight end, and Daryl Daniels, who's more of a special team standout. So a couple different op- a couple different options would be, you know, I- I've been advocating throw some money at Trey Burton, see what his interest level is. The trade market's tough because I think you could get Hayden Hurst, who just had his fifth year option declined by Atlanta. Of course, they took Pitts. You could get him after a career year for relatively cheap. Same thing you would think with Zach Ertz, although Philadelphia is pretty stagnant on that. The problem is. The Cardinals don't have a fourth-round pick next year now because they traded up for Marco Wilson in the fourth round, a move I liked. But each of the last two uh, mid-season trading deadlines, 2020 sure. or uh, yeah, 2020 and 2019, Kimes used late-round picks to get Kenyon Drake and Marcus Golden. So I don't think he wants to go into next year having no day three picks, and I don't think you want to trade your third-round pick after doing it this year. So they're going to have to see how this all plays out. But they need a, a capable pass catcher, and right now the market, Blake, especially from a free agent standpoint, is relatively thin. So unless they can do, you know, could you package, you know, somebody like Hicks or somebody like Isabella with a pick to a team that had pre-draft interest on a player like Isabella, could you find somebody capable? I know a lot of people have been thrown out, David Njoku. I'm fine. I just, they need somebody with that pedigree that's better than Max Williams because, in my opinion, A.J. Green is still an unknown. They're not bringing Fitz back to play tight end. Rondell Moore's a rookie. They need a presence in the middle of the field, seam routes, etc., and they don't have it right now. Yeah, we talked about how Kyler Murray, as far as Wincliffe's offense, how much of it is simply that he has not been able to throw over the middle, He's been struggling, whether that's his height or the protections. We saw at least that there's times where he just needs a bigger target over the middle. Uh, Someone, at least, as far as who can run not just those mesh concepts with the crossing routes. We didn't see as many as we were expecting to see, I think, maybe. Uh, So some of that caution over, you know, the height, finding windows, whether he's a guy who just does not want to risk the ball getting picked off over the middle. Uh, As when it comes to getting a target that can fill that role, and Joku's a guy that I just don't really see being an option for the Cardinals. He did get his fifth-year option picked up by the Browns, which is $6 million. That's essentially going to be the same cap hit for the Browns whether they cut him or trade him so it does make sense for them to keep him at amount for the Cardinals trading for him it just doesn't make sense to take that on that six million dollar cap hit more likely you you can pick up a guy that can fill a lot of that type of role and bring in a veteran at least who can be maybe a blocking guy or Uh, Just be at least someone who can fill in. Because right now, John, the offense, I look at Cliff and say, Cliff, the offense is on you. Not to just be this innovator who can only utilize the running game to success, as we saw last year. But a guy who now you said, hey, you've got capable running backs. You've got a capable center now. You've got some weapons. Now it's time for the passing game to blossom. And that means you're going to have to factor in tight end. So now, John, let's pivot a bit now and talk about what a lot of fans are asking. What about the corners? That was the question most Cardinals fans had going into the draft. And as the draft unfolded, after Asante Samuel Jr. was picked, there's probably what felt like that there was some 60 picks before the next guy was drafted, I believe. So at the Cardinals, they do move up. We talked a little bit about how the the capital that they had in the later rounds is enough to be able to move up. And they did kind of guess they were able to move up, and they did into the fourth round to pick up a guy with Marco Wilson. They picked up, I believe, another pick in the sixth, used their pick in the fifth. 
Um, they already had two picks in the seventh. When they moved up from that fifth-round pick, they were able to take that guy, Wilson, out of Florida, 5'11", 190 pounds. He's probably yeah. one of the most explosive athletes that we've seen of the cornerback position in this class. You look at there's a picture with him where he is out jumping the measuring sticks that they're used to be able to measure the vertical jump. Uh, is some 43 and a half vertical inches measured in. So again, despite the ACLs, he's had an explosive guy. A guy who also trained at the Exodus Combine. Now that said, why is this a guy who's still available then on day three if he's this great athlete? Well. Uh, you know, Arizona waited for quite a while for each of these guys in corners. We also know Arizona's one of these teams that they wait a while in the corner. Well, Vance doesn't like starting these types of corners, but I understand at least the approach that they did after taking two of the better players. They really didn't trade up for a corner, and they didn't really want to reach for a corner, but they didn't want to leave themselves stranded. So I think that they did want to take draft and develop a guy like Wilson. Same with one of the other guys that they drafted in Trey Gowan. Now, he seems to be a player in a lot of different ways that I think that fits maybe better than I expected with the Cardinals. And uh, would probably be one of those factors. I put it out there. Goodness, I think it was maybe Thursday afternoon. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I just said, hey, I don't expect them to take a corner in the first round because I... I think we all had come to a conclusion that J.C. Horner and Patrick Sertain weren't going to be there. And then it's it's Friday, and I got the sense from talking to people, like, unless an Asante Samuel fell, I don't, I don't know what kind of interest they had on a, a Kelvin Joseph, but unless Samuel fell, which he almost did, I didn't think they were going to take a corner on day two. And it looked like, Blake, had they wanted to move up for Asante Samuel, they could have packaged another pick or future picks to go up and get him, a la Buda Baker, a couple years ago. They were all in on Rondell Moore. That was evident, right? And so it's it's day three now, and you know I'm mm-hmm. checking my phone and I'm watching the TV, and I suddenly the Cardinals are on the clock, and I'm like, it has to be for one of the available corners. And this this is a perfect fit for day three. This is what day three is all about. Take the guy with the high upside that may have some questionable character. He, he he's known for a personal foul or two. But he's got athleticism off the charts. These are the kind of guys I, I want to take risks on on day three because if it doesn't work out, it's a fourth-round pick. But if it does work out, listen, everything that I'm hearing about him, that he's got the high upside of somebody who can be an outside corner opposite somebody like a Malcolm Butler. Or if he doesn't work out, he's still quality depth, inside or outside, third, fourth, fifth corner. And you need multiple corners on your roster. You get him now for four years making no money. Unless he just can't play, period, which goodness when you've got blazing speed 44 inch vertical like your talent will just be showcased and I think there were also questions about how well he was coached at Florida but I I put this out on Twitter you're going against Kyle Pitts and Jalen Waddell every day in practice like you can play right and he has the athleticism to to go with it Kadarius Tony yeah not Jalen Waddell Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts every day in practice two two first round talents a top four talent in Pitts uh, this this guy, in my opinion, I was excited about this move, and I'm with you, Blake. I, I saw that a couple writers locally for the Cardinals said, well, they're, they're not going to sign a veteran now. I still think they will. First of all, they have too much money not to. There are too many good quality options available. Richard Sherman, Steven Nelson, Breland, the corner from Kansas City. Like They're going to go out and get somebody for pennies on the dollar, and they should. They got Drake or Patrick last year right before the season. He was their number two corner. Flood the position with new bodies, athletic athletic players. And then, yeah, if, if this guy beats them out, that's awesome. But counting on him and Gowan, the, the six-rounder, who I also like, to come in and just fill that role, 
because Byron Murphy right now is your slot corner. You can't count on Robert Alford. I don't care what, what they say. So then that means you're expecting Wilson to be the opposite number two corner on the outside. That's not fair to him. I think you start him out on special teams as a gunner. He's physical. He can tackle well. Uh, and then just kind of see where his development goes. But uh, again, if he flashes in camp, that's great. Nobody who you're making a commitment to at this point in the offseason at corner or tight end or whatever is going to, you're, you're going to need to sink big money in multi years to. So I disagree. <clears throat> I know you disagree with the notion they don't need a vet. They're going to sign a vet, but I this was a, a great value pick for the Cardinals. Yeah, especially when you're looking and talking about what the Cardinals' pattern has been, John. They went from drafting guys who were essentially, you know, very similar type of background. Every one of the guys that they used to draft, at least maybe were not quite as explosive, was in this draft. Uh, guys, especially in the vertical jump, were all these different type of athletes. However, a lot of them slipped to later rounds due to injury concerns. You know, you look at a guy like Marco Wilson tears an ACL in high school, tears an opposite ACL at least when he's a redshirt freshman. Think that he was one of the few Florida few yeah Florida true freshmen who started at corner, one of the last guys since Joe Hayden. Um, now, the other two things, at least, uh, that are the concern with him, on the other hand, though, would be the two Ds, the decisiveness and the discipline. There were times, at least, he'd be in the vicinity, according to a scouting report, where he would just not be quite there, or maybe he'd miss with the right-hand leverage. And then there would be other times, at least, that he would just, you know, maybe whiff or guess wrong. Otherwise, he's a very fluid athlete, so you can see the potential if Vance takes him in and can maybe teach him to be a bit more disciplined. Um, this is also a pick where you talk about, you know, a corner that you want your corners to be able to make plays in coverage. And so if you're an athlete that has some of those question marks about playmaking, uh, that's part of why you may fall at least. Now, again, I think at least with uh, the one thing, at least it's a plus for you outside of looking at the guy previously who maybe was a super athlete, but not the best corner was Brandon Williams. Uh, Brandon Williams never started 36 games at, I think it was, uh, 30, yeah, played, started 35 of 36 games in college in the SEC at corner, not like how Brandon Williams, who spent years at running back, that starting level is something I think that Kime is looking at in his corner, you know, the fact that he's maybe a little bit smaller in size at 5'11", um, what was interesting was you look at the measurables and his production, the high-end comp that he has for the most part actually is Robert Alford, the current Cardinals corner. So this is a guy who maybe is never able to take on a Julio Jones, per se, but he might be of a guy that could be a solid pick for the Cardinals who could develop into a long-term CB2. And the uh, questions as far as with maturity, that's popped up. Um, he is an emotional dude, at least. Most of the time, at least when you talk about maturity, you're talking the end of the Florida LSU game. You're talking about at least with, um, you know, with Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, that explosive offense is taking down LSU and an upset win uh, for LSU though because he picks up one of the Tigers' cleats, throws it out on the field at least, gets a penalty, and that essentially gave the LSU a chance to go and win the game, and it booted L uh, I think should say Florida from the playoff. And so then when it comes to maturity, the question is, are you a guy who's going to be learning from your mistakes? Or is that going to be one of those guys who's going to be, you know, always limited somewhat because of that lack of discipline at the NFL level? Are there any other questions at least you'd have, John, or comments? Because the Cardinals went pretty defensive back heavy, I'd say, later on day three. Yeah, they did. Uh, you mentioned Gowan, who, who I'm a fan of. Again, <clears throat> I, I don't think you can ever go wrong with day three corners defensive backs in general. I just think the hit rate is much higher. 
You look at somebody like uh, Jalen Thompson, who the Cardinals used a supplemental pick on, uh, Deontay Thompson, who's very capable. Those guys were, were fifth-round picks for a reason um, and, and have both stuck. Uh, Greg Toller, once upon a time, was a fourth-round pick for the Cardinals that stuck at corner for a little while, got a second contract from the team. I, I just think that that position is so built on technique and so many of these guys are undercoached at the collegiate level and just go off of athleticism, and then they get coached well enough at the NFL that they pop. It just has a much higher hit rate than some of the other positions, certainly offensive line, quarterback. So I love doubling down. I think Gowan, to me, you, you question a little bit the level of play, and he only did it one year, Tay Gowan, their six-round pick. But again, you know, I thought Seth Cox had a really nice write-up on Revenge of the Birds, if you haven't checked it out already. He's got a high football IQ. He's very physical, right? Again, he only played the one year in F- FBS. Um, you know, lacks the ideal speed to to make up with those premier, you know, outside receivers in the NFL. Uh, but can play a little bit of man. Again, he's going to be expected to play special teams. Let's see how he can do with with ball sil- skills that served him well at UCF. But that's a program that's been churning out pros. That's a program who a couple seasons ago had an undefeated season. That's that's a legitimate collegiate program that ch- churns out professionals. So. Again, I, I, I like that a lot. I like what they did. Um, and it, if one of these two guys hits, it's a, it's a heck of a day three. Yeah, Gowan is interesting because a lot of the film scouts, for whatever reason, were not a big fan of his game for the most part. Dane Brugler had him dra- ranked as a undrafted free agent. Uh, didn't think that he was capable overall at a... Uh, high level, which is interesting because when I look at the Cardinals and his measurables, he hits all of the check marks for you know what they like in their cornerbacks. It'll be interesting to see after he opted out of the 2020 season, which is part of why his stock fell. He said that his daughter had been born premature. You didn't want to risk things with COVID. When you're talking about a lot of these late picks, it's interesting because um, of the talent level. Pro Football Focus loved him, despite the fact he went in round six. They said that, you know, he played through adversity in Central Florida. He allowed less than 25 yards uh, per game for the majority of his games. Uh, And that's kind of the case where some guys, at least, you're going to see from this pandemic who are going to not really develop at the uh, next level. And some guys are going to blossom at the next level, despite opting out, scouts not liking that. And Gowan is one of those guys who, you know, he's got a chance to have either happen. Uh, when you're talking about throwing darts at the wall as far as with late day three cornerbacks, there hasn't been a lot of hits there for the most part. Uh, I think the hope is not necessarily he'll turn into a star versus, hey, like, if you can turn him into a good role player, I think that's at least an advantage, or at least even if you'll settle for one of these two guys being that. Let's shift and talk to one of my favorite picks that we had, which would be safety James Wigan from Cincinnati, the first of the two seven-round picks. Uh, he was a guy, at least, who was just as explosive, you know. He had a 42-inch vertical, uh, ran with some of the uh, 4-4 speed. He says that he's modeled his game after Tyron Matthew and Buda Baker, even wore number 32. Uh, Buddha obviously is changing his number at least to three. So the NFL's flexibility that they've passed over with the jerseys means that he'll probably end up walking 32. And he did honestly remind me a lot of Buddha. When I went back and looked at some of the tape and the highlights of uh, Wiggins, the last uh, last kind of what I saw at least, he's less of a free safety that you'd see in Vance's defense, that center fielder. He's much more of that guy who would be able to, you know, rush, be able to blitz. Um, he was almost one of those kind of players who maybe wonder, hey, if like you look at last year with Chris Banjo, Buda missing a game, this may be one of those guys who they're hedging their bet a bit with Buda Baker because he can probably fill in that role a lot better than a guy like a Chris Banjo or whoever that 
safety was that they took in off the street. Uh, he should be able to play, I think, a bit better as long as he can live up to that athletic potential. And uh, as far as when it comes to other thoughts on him, John, what would you think at least about likes of Wiggins and then getting into the last lineman? Um, yeah, I think anytime you can get more athletic at safety, I think they're going to be looking for long-term options, especially as some of the guys they tendered this year um, or on one-year deals set for bigger paydays next offseason. So you might be kind of hedging your bet with Wiggins a little bit. Again, lots of these guys on day three, an emphasis on how will they look on special teams, how do you backfill this roster. Because, I mean, you're thinking about probably, of course, you'd love to find a starter for cheap, but you're thinking about, well, maybe this time next year or two years from now, we're going to be paying Kyler Murray $30-plus plus million per season, and we need to be able to, to supplement our roster with guys that are making next to nothing. And that's what a lot of these picks are for. Um, and so, again, it would be great if, number one, he can even make the team, but number two, develop a niche either on special teams or as maybe a, a developmental rotation player. Yeah, absolutely could see that. And then last, as far as the draft picks go, the Cardinals, they called Marco Wilson their favorite steal of the 2020 draft. Just going to throw it out there. I think that this player here could be another one of the guys who we talk about later as one of the bigger steals. Michael Manet, or Michael Manette, the offensive center from Penn State, a guy who got a third or fourth round grade from Brugler uh, out of their scouts. We see at least a lot of people thought he would go much earlier in day three. He goes with the last of the Cardinals two picks in the seventh round. but And he is a bit more of that typical Steve Keim interior lineman pick. Not as much of an explosive athlete, not as one of those stronger guys who's going to just blow people off of the ball. But instead, He's just a steady guy, at least, despite being undersized. And uh, one of those players that, you know, just I think it's viewed as a center for a lot of teams. Um, when you talk about a lot of those guys when it comes to a strength, we talk about with guys who maybe they're not the strongest guy in the world, but they're solid with their technique. This is one of those cases where if that guy can turn into a likes of an AQ Shipley, who I believe is also a seventh round pick, um, you know, he'll have to get stronger a bit at the next level. Um, I think at least, but he was a team captain as well at Penn State. They've had a lot of guys they've put into the pros over the last few years. I think there's a very good chance that he's a guy who you end up saying, hey, like either he's going to push Lamont Galliard for a spot on the roster, or if he's a spot where there is questions about Lamont, uh, Lamont may be the guy who's a bit stronger than him, but maybe not quite as much of a veteran when it comes to the technique. And we'll be seeing at least if he can turn into either an NFL starter at the highest end. I think at least maybe he'll be much more of that longer-term guy who's either a boom or a bust right at the position on the interior line. Uh, what's at least the good news at this spot, John, is we've seen Kyle go and take these guys early, like the Evan Bame, taking the Cole Toner, all at that same undersized athletic profile. But those guys were taken all in the fourth and fifth round. This is a guy you're taking in the seventh round. And so I think being able to look at that as far as, hey, you can be flexible to be, you know, a long-term backup behind Rodney Hudson if Gallier doesn't work out. Um, that, to me at least, is the biggest potential positive. Otherwise, you're no worse off for the wear if he doesn't end up working out or ends up being a practice squad guy. And so even if, you know, Hudson gets hurt, you're at least throwing a draft pick into the mix to protect him. What are your thoughts on the last pick of the day, John? Yeah, I like it. I like the fact that, first of all, the Cardinals offensive line coach, highly respected Sean Kugler, likely signed off on the pick. You're, you're right. Lamont Gilliard, interior offensive line competition. This kid's a redshirt senior, uh, somebody who's played a lot of football, um, somebody who's probably comfortable coming in and learning and being a backup. 
uh, and the Cardinals have had success with some of these developmental players where there's not just there's nothing expected of them from day one. I think that's the difference between this regime and the old Cardinals is they would draft these guys on on day three and they'd be expected to play because of injury, because of poor quality veteran play. But I, I like the decision, Blake, um, and I'm anxious to see how it plays out. Hopefully you can make the team. Right. Licking the team is always the hardest part with those late round seven picks. And that will wrap it up for us today on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Um, you know, John's going to go right now. Uh, I'll wrap it up at least and take us home uh, and let us know. You can always find him and his tweets at Johnny Venerable on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. Uh, next week, we've got some great content coming up. The NFL is going to be dropping their 2021 schedule for the year. And we'll be having coverage of that, analyzing the win loss record we'd expect for the Cardinals based on their talent level, how they improve through the draft, how other teams improve through the draft. Um, so that'll be also then the next steps that they can take as far as for fleshing out the rest of their roster. Uh, we'll also be able to kind of talk a little bit about the uh, offseason in general for the Arizona Cardinals. If they've been able to break into the top half of the NFC West or if looking at how the teams have gone, if they're going to take a step back, seeing how Matthew Stafford's in the division, the Niners just got Trey Lance, they are upgrading at quarterback. Uh, we will see if that means the Cardinals will be able to keep up or surpass them as well. Uh, that's been it for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. You can find us at revengeofthebirds.com as well as podcast sites on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, other different podcasting apps like uh, Stitcher or Himalaya, uh, or at, always at revengeofthebirds.com. In the meantime, go Cardinals. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. <laughs>